This week on A Lively Experiment, lawmakers got their chance to try and find out what led to the closure of the Washington Bridge. And a Rhode Island PBS series focuses on the increasing risks of giving birth. One of our panelists talks about the problem and some possible solutions. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr., for over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us on the panel, Wayona Nelson Davies, Executive Director of the Economic Progress Institute, Boston Globe reporter Amanda Milkovitz, and Dr. Pablo Rodriguez, retired professor at Brown University's Warren Alpert School of Medicine. Welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us this week. Rhode Island's DOT director was on the hot seat for hours Monday as more than two dozen lawmakers sat as a joint House-Senate uh, oversight committee. The exchanges at times became contentious as Peter Alviti Jr. tried to remind legislators of the body of work the DOT has had since he took the helm eight years ago, while trying to explain how such a catastrophic failure of oversight could lead to the closure of the westbound lanes in December. You know, Amanda, we've been reporting here a long time, and I was trying to think of a story. There's probably only been a handful that have dominated the news cycle week after week. Usually we do something and we mm. move on. This one looks like it's going to go on for well, a while. Well, because we're all living it. It's not over for us. And I think if anything came out of that hearing, it's the lack of answers of when is this going to be repaired? Is it going to have to be rebuilt? And my question is, why didn't, didn't Director Elviti know about it? Why wasn't he informed in real time and on that Friday? So he could have been much more prepared and the governor could have been prepared. I mean, I was thinking about what other stories uh, uh, compares to this. Do you remember the December debacle mm -hmm. uh, when the, we had the, the giant snowstorm and children were stuck on school buses mm -hmm. and that dominated and you know the, the state EMA director lost his job and the Providence EMA director lost his job. I mean, this is the other December debacle, except we're all still on the school bus. Yeah, Pablo? Listen, this is a place where um, there are no innocent mistakes. Uh, and what I mean is that we've known for a long time that many of Rhode Island bridges are deficient. Uh, so we, we sometimes tend to, to blame the person now, but a lot of people are mm -hmm. responsible for not doing what we're supposed to be doing with all these bridges for, many, for, for a long, long time. So, but that said, crisis management you know, by mm. the governor and by Albedi has been just absolutely atrocious. Um, you know, when you, uh, I'll give you a, an example of what happens when a doctor uh, has a mistake. The first thing we're supposed to do is acknowledge the mistake. Mm. And if it's our fault, immediately apologize to the patient. And in this case, what we had was defensiveness. What we had was, oh, it's not that bad. Uh, what we had is that we did a great job closing the bridge on time. You cannot pat yourself in the back when something as disastrous as this happens. You know, and if from the beginning, you know, there would have been an acknowledgement, this is, this is our fault, this would never have happened, and we're gonna work hard to make sure that never happens again, and we're gonna fix this situation right now. But that didn't happen until weeks later, mm. when instead of, you know, congratulating themselves there now they're basically it's our fault you yeah know, congratulating themselves because the bridge didn't collapse right yeah right. 
Yeah, and I'm very proud of the um, General Assembly for sending a message that they're taking this seriously with this hearing. But from the hearing, it was frustrating because we still don't know what happened. We still don't know what's going to happen, whether we're going to repair this bridge or we're going to rebuild it, whether it's going to take the three months they initially said it would take, or whether it's going to take one to two years. So there's a lot of frustration here. I also think out of this hearing came the sentiment that the public does not trust that we know what we're doing with this, right? Mm -hmm. This is not a mere inconvenience. Um, this is impacting people's lives. Mm -hmm. They cannot get to work on time, school on time, childcare, and they cannot predict how the traffic will be. So this is serious, and we don't know again what's going to happen with other breaches. The public is losing um, trust in whether we are handling this well. We're hearing reports about you know outside contractors. Is that a mismanagement? You know, should we have more internal people working on this so we can catch these um, issues sooner than? We did in Who's inspecting thing. the inspectors? Correct. Right. Right. And, you know, my, my colleague Brian Amaral has been documenting, he's been speaking with the union leaders about really dysfunction and a toxic environment inside the DOT. How much of that has contributed to this problem where people don't, inside the DOT, do not trust each other, do not trust leadership, are not informing management? Yeah, and it, uh, it, the thing that I've been thinking about, we've talked about this every week, probably mm -hmm. since December, and the closures. It's not just the people I live in the East Bay, so it affects me, but and all of you are on the West Side, but it's affecting you in, in different ways. I mean, Amanda, every, every week, <laughs> don't feel badly, every week we've had a panelist late, and it's not the people on the East Side. It's mm -hmm. because of the residual backup. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and one thing that really uh, worries me is the fact that uh, surveillance and safety, uh, which is something that should be ongoing all the time, uh, we're coming to accept uh, reports that are cookie cutter, that have the same language, mm -hmm. you know, that is, oh, we, we picked up the same language because nothing changed. That's not how safety is supposed to work. Right. You know, you're supposed to say what's happening in the moment. Exactly. And you, can, you cannot convince anyone. You, you don't need to be an engineer to know that, come on, you know, a bridge cannot be collapsing, mm -hmm. right. you know, uh, and six months uh, before it was perfectly fine. Right. Yeah. People don't trust the system, and with good reason. And now we really want to know, okay, what other bridges are at stake? Exactly. Right. And That's I even want to look further, you know, because we're talking about a bridge, but I'm looking at the big picture of transportation, right? So we have um, issues with biking and walking and public transportation. That's another big issue that we're not talking about that does impact all of this. You know, right now, the governor proposed a budget that is giving um, RIPTA $10 million instead of the $18 million they need, and they're saying they're going to cut services. So that's also going to impact how people are getting around this state. Yeah, I also wonder that. You make a good you make a good point about RIPTA, and that's just a Band-Aid. They're taking some of the federal ARPA money. Exactly. And, and so where are we going to be next year? They're having to cut routes. They can't get drivers. And if you're going to have a society that's functioning and, and uh, your, e your economy is humming, mm -hmm. you've got to have a good transportation system. You do. And RIPTA is saying the ARPA money is temporary. We need to invest general revenue within the RIPTA system. And so that's something we're ignoring again. And that's a systemic issue. You know, we ignore the bridge issue. Now we're ignoring public transportation when people on the ground are crying and say we're in a crisis. We need to think now more seriously about how we generate revenue in the state to address issues like public transportation or childcare and education. And so I see all of these issues very intertwined. I also wonder where the feds are in all this. We know that the, the, the highway administrator, uh, Federal Highway, came here, but they want to know where their money has gone. And it's been a lot of money invested in that bridge over the uh, years. And there is an investigation going 
going on, and uh, the investigators are not going to be tolerating cookie-cutter approaches to safety uh, mm -hmm. because it's federal money being invested. So uh, some heads are going to fall. There's no doubt about it. So yeah. if the public isn't getting those answers, the feds certainly will. Yes. Yeah, they have a subpoena <laughs> yeah. power. Like, we, don't you ever wish you had subpoena oh, God, power? Oh, uh, <laughs> It would make our lives a lot easier instead of away, away, you little love. Yeah, you don't have to pay for the public. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, lost in all of this has been there. You know, there's a General Assembly session going on, and there's a lot of legislation making its way through. First of all, welcome, Leona. This is your first time uh, with us. You were the executive director of the Economic Progress Institute, so you were looking at a lot of legislation. One thing that you wanted to highlight was temporary caregivers insurance, and it seems like this year there's a lot. So explain what that is and what and what the legislation does. And it seems like there's momentum this year. Yes, we're very optimistic that this could be the year where we expand Rhode Island Pay Leave Program, which is a temporary caregiver insurance program, TCI most people know it as. Um, so what this program does is providing workers an opportunity to take time to care for loved ones. Mm -hmm. In Rhode Island right now, in 2024, we can take workers, all of us, can take six weeks off to take care of a spouse or a child or a parent. What this bill is doing are three big things this bill is doing. It's expanding the weeks from six to 12 weeks. Um, so like workers could take that off to spend time with their loved ones. And then it's also expanding the definition of family. As we have immigrants come in, the LGBTQ community, um, and we have um, foster children, for example, who may not have immediate family. What this bill would do is expand that definition so workers can take care of grandchildren, siblings, and other people who are in their primary care. And then the last thing it will do is to expand the dependent um, allowance from $10 per dependent to $20 per dependent. And pay leave is important for so many reasons. The 12 weeks um, in and of itself, it's important because doctors have told us that that is a good enough time to bond with a new baby, mm -hmm. right? So that's important. It's also important when we talk about infant um, health um, outcomes, right? It leads to positive health outcomes. Postpartum, um, um, it also leads to recovery time to have that 12 week. So this is a bill that will impact the lives of workers and impact the lives of family. We're optimistic the Senate leadership have made this a priority, mm -hmm. they have endorsed it, and so we're hoping this is the year we get it done in Rhode Island. Seems pretty basic. It is pretty basic in the fact that uh, other countries have mm. had incredible mm. leave policies up to a year in some countries mm. uh, and they haven't gone broke or they haven't you know sunk into the ocean uh, and uh, other states you know now Connecticut and Massachusetts have much better uh, leave policies than than we have and we're always talking about oh we want to improve education like Massachusetts and do like Massachusetts well this is a good opportunity to be like Massachusetts and, right. and, and increase family leave. It, it, when you mentioned maternal death, and we're going to be talking about it in a little while, but you know, most maternal deaths occur postpartum. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't realize that. People think it's during pregnancy. 53% of them occur, uh, you know, mm -hmm. between, you know, seven days postpartum and up to a year. So leave is extremely important for, specifically for pregnant women, but for the entire family. Mm -hmm. Those children that are, you know, um, cared for uh, their, their parents in the first, you know, three months of life is it, it's determinant in the health of that child. So this and is And even really that important. 12 weeks goes by so quickly. Oh, very quickly. Does, you know, yeah. our kids. It really feels like it will be a game changer for Rhode Island workers. Mm -hmm. It'll really make the state competitive. I mean, it, it's very impressive that also expanding the definition of family and who will be eligible for it. I mean, 
Can you find anybody who has not been impacted by leave? I can't. Exactly. I can think of a number of people who really could have used that extra time. So if you're a worker, it's going to be a tremendous uh, change in your life. It will uh, impact your family for sure. And um, it, it sounds like it will be beneficial for the state. Your company already goes above and beyond. Above and beyond. I know and we've boy, had a few nice. of, a few of your colleagues who have had children, and all of a sudden, wow, they're gone for a long time. It's but a Massachusetts company. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. And we used to be the leader in the country. We were one of the first states to pass pay leave. We're the third state in the nation to pass it. But then we are now, we have one of the worst policies for states that have pay leave at six weeks, and 60% um, of wages people receive. So this will be a game changer for right. us to catch up with the rest of the states that follow our lead. One other thing that may be on your priority list, you put out a, you put out a, a sheet a couple of weeks ago for your legislative priorities. What else would you like to see go through? Um, we have a lot, but the other thing that... Try to contain yourself. <laughs> I'll try, Jim, to give me a platform to talk about this. Um, payday lender reform. It's another mm -hmm. one for 13 years in the city of Rhode Island. We have been fighting to reform the payday lending um, practice. And every time I talk about this, people ask, it hasn't passed yet? What is it? Pay the lender in the state of Rhode Island have a carve out in law because they're considered cash check cashers. So they're not considered lender. But what that carve out and special treatment does is allow them to charge triple digit mm -hmm. interest rates. Mm -hmm. So they can charge low income and communities of color who the target up to 260%, where other small lenders can only charge 36% in the city of Rhode Island. For 13 years, we've been going to the state house to say, we have to protect um, low income communities, and this is predatory lending. They are preying on these communities to rely on these lenders that are not a service, but really keeping people in the cycle of debt. And it almost got through last it year. You know, you know what you do, just a little tip from a guy who's been around for a while, you need to hire a former speaker <laughs> and then maybe yes. it'll go through on your side. Um, yeah. This is what it almost went through last year. But people say 260% interest, and you're like, what? I'm like oh, the lo loan sharking is legal. Who knew? Yeah, it <laughs> is. Right. Exactly. It is. Uh, I, I just don't understand who who has the power mm. uh, to 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 affect this legislature for so long. Right. Because I remember Juan Pichardo, you know, the Senator Juan Pichardo put put the, the initial, mm -hmm. you know, years ago. And we thought this is a no-brainer, and yet we're still here yes, this year why? again. Yes, why? Why isn't it going through? Well, that's a question we want to answer, right? We will say last year we got a historic win. Like the first time it went to the House floor, and we got 70 to 2. Mm -hmm. So we know legislators want this. Now we're hoping, because we got that move, that the Senate will also move this year. We'll get hearings earlier, because everyone's asking why right. not, right? It's a no-brainer. Yeah. So we don't have a former Speaker of the House, but we do have people who are get saying we want this. I will. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All, advice. All right, we will get back to legislative stuff a little bit later. Last month, Rhode Island PV ran a three-part series called The Risk of Giving Birth. It chronicles the steady increase over the past 20 years of pregnancy complications and deaths in the United States, a rate that is dramatically higher than other wealthy nations around the world. Even more striking, black women who are pregnant have a rate of death that is three times that of white women. Here's a short recap of the series. In 2023, the maternal health crisis is not getting better. In fact, it is getting worse. People giving birth in the U.S. are increasingly more likely to die now than they were decades ago. 
why do so many of us have these issues? We cannot continue in this path. So we are going in the wrong direction. Instead of getting better, we are getting worse. According to the Centers for Disease Control, the maternal mortality rate for Latinas jumped by 54% from 2020 to 2021. If we can get women to be health literate, we can save the world. Women's health, we're about to expand from two days to three days now. If we better the circumstances that surround the lives of people that are at risk, we can reduce the number. You can watch the entire series on the Rhode Island PBS YouTube channel by going to youtube.com slash Rhode Island PBS. Pablo, you're wearing a number of hats today. Not only your lively panelists, but you were featured in this series. We should also give our regular disclaimer that you are a member of the Rhode Island PBS board. Um, talk about overall, you were in the, featured in the third series about Latina health, but just the larger picture for those who don't know about, it just seems the United States, which is always considered to have such a great health system, this is a real chink in the armor, isn't it? 10 times the rate of developed countries like Japan, Spain, and Germany. 10 times the rate. Uh, and the interesting part about it is that uh, people keep talking about poverty and social determinants of health as a cause for these mortalities and morbidities. Uh, and yes, they do contribute, but when you separate those issues, when you have women of color that have power, that have money, like Serena Williams, uh, like um, uh, the Olympic uh, runner uh, who, who died uh, from, from childbirth. These are women that had power, had insurance. The only thing that they had against it is that they were black. Uh, and their complications are 80% preventable. 80% of maternal death complications in the country are preventable. So we have to understand that there is a systemic problem uh, in our healthcare system that affects people of color differentially. Um, and it's not just insurance, it's not just poverty, uh, it's racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and um, this series resonated with me for so many reasons, right? Well, I'm a mother, I'm a mother of two. Um, I'm also an attorney. You know, prior to um, coming to EPI, I was a legal aid attorney, and I work with doctors. So I work in medical legal partnership, actually working with doctors and medical students on the social determinants of health, on healthcare equity, understanding the issues of the healthcare system. And then I got pregnant, and actually the story, especially episode two, it almost felt like it was my story. So talking about, I wasn't living in poverty. I was educated a professional, an attorney, and an advocate for people who go through this, and yet and still I almost lost my child because mm -hmm. I wasn't listened to. So when people talk about the black women in that series not being listened to, that hit me hard because for a month before I had an um, emergency C-section, I told my doctors my baby wasn't moving and no one would pay attention to me and then realized that she was starving because she was no longer connected to me. So I almost lost her and she had to spend time in the NICU. So that was something that was preventable. It had nothing to do with poverty and I felt guilty. Like I will advocate for someone else. Why couldn't I advocate for myself? So this series really showed that it is a systemic issue and the more stories we hear, hopefully that will lead us to get into good solutions for women. Um, and children. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, this, 
and watching um, all three parts, it felt like this was must must see TV for the healthcare industry. Everybody is in healthcare, starting with the receptionists, the staff, the nurses, the doctors, to understand um, systemic racism and how that could be affecting how they are hearing what women have to say about their pregnancies, mm -hmm. how they are um, they are pre they are preparing to prevent any issues, preparing to prevent any postpartum depression. It was, uh, I mean, everything that, that Pablo just said, uh, the statistics just blew me away. Mm -hmm. When you see it all put together, 80% of these deaths are preventable? Right. How is that even possible? Uh -huh. And it was it was just astounding to me. What I thought was also interesting was how some of the legislation that's been passed, for example, for doulas, mm -hmm. has the potential to really make a difference in this. So mm -hmm. Rhode Island could be a leader on this. And that was Marcia Wranglin-Vassell, the representative who right. had her own problem with her twins mm -hmm. almost three decades ago. It, so what about the doula legislation? Good. I wish I had a doula. Yeah. You know, I really, when I saw that, I was like, it was five years later. I missed later, out right? on the doula. I missed right? out on it. That's that would have been amazing. So I think doula, midwives, and then, uh, like, followers, like, really training people to understand where biases are coming from, that will help. Um, and legislators to get involved. So doula was a good example of our lawmakers actually getting involved to help to solve this How problem. frustrating was that to be, not to be heard? It was hard for it. it, almost led to death, you know? It was frustrating, but it was almost like disastrous that I could have lost my child and maybe my life just by not being listened to. So even that, just changing that dynamics could make a difference. And, and, and just surrounding that issue, 23% of maternal deaths are caused from mental health issues, mm. okay? Uh, postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's the single most important cause of death. Uh, of mothers uh, and those kinds of experiences, she felt guilty. Mm -hmm. She yeah. felt guilty, even though it had nothing to do with her. Right. That just magnifying through the through a whole population. She is very knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. She's educated. Mm -hmm. Imagine someone that doesn't have that kind of knowledge exactly. and experiencing what you have experienced. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what leads to the uh, maternal deaths. You know, as a result of uh, of depression. You talked mm -hmm. in the third part about uh, things going on in Central Falls, particularly with Latina mm -hmm. women, and mm -hmm. it, and it's encouraging that they're addressing. Of course, the the uh, the mayor, uh, uh, Rivera, a Latina woman herself. Talk a little bit about that briefly, about what's going on in Central Florida. Yes, yeah, so uh, in Rhode Island, per se, maternal death rates are difficult to measure because there's so many, so, we're so small. Uh, but morbidity, uh, we have much higher morbidity for people of color, uh, for women of color in, in, in Rhode Island. And in Central Falls, the situation was as a result of COVID. Uh, yeah. With COVID, you had all these numbers of people developing complications. And for each maternal death, there are 80 complications uh, that wow. happen. Uh, mm -hmm. And in Rhode Island, we have um, twice the national average uh, of, of complications in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Again, I commend you to watch that series. Mm -hmm. uh, all, all available right now, the three parts, they're 30 minutes each and they're excellent. Uh, they're just beautifully produced. Uh, let's do this. Let's go to uh, outrageous and or kudos. And there's one other thing I want to ask Amanda about. What do you have, outrage or kudos this week? Oh, actually, I have a kudos. Go ahead. Shocking. Um, my kudos is, is a shout out to my unsung hero who is Kathy in the records department of the uh, North Providence Police Department. There you go. Without whom I could not have obtained more than, oh, 
several hundred pages of records of all the police calls to St. Mary's Home for Children, mm. which is uh, several hundred of those calls were of children running away. And St. Mary's Home for Children is under a great deal of scrutiny because of the child advocates investigation that found abuse, neglect, general chaos and dysfunction. And this was one example of what was going on. And behind every investigation is someone like a Kathy who is making sure that those public records are produced. So I, was, well, I was going to talk about that as our last topic, but let's talk about that now. You sure. did an amazing mm -hmm. series, and the and the public records. We we talked about this off uh, off air. It's so fundamental in the bridge. Uh, in the Philly fiasco last year, and government increasingly wants to seem to put up that barrier. Mm. So there should be more Cathy's out there, right? There should be more Cathy's out there in, in, in the State Departments and in police departments everywhere. I, I told her what I was looking for, and she says, I'm going to make sure I get everything for you. And she says, you didn't even know about this address, did you? Let me get this. Let me get this. Let me turn it around in a couple of days. Thank God. Because, you know, but the problem with the St. Mary's Home for Children is that this has been, like the bridge, mm -hmm. a problem that's been allowed to fester for years. Mm -hmm. I'm talking to families of kids who were there, who have been there, who are there now, who said none of what was in the Child Advocates report was any surprise. The neighbors said it was no yeah. surprise. The police department said it was no surprise. But it took a long time to expose it. Crazy. Mm. Pablo, what do you have? Uh, my outrage is Republicans in Congress um, rejecting a compromise bipartisan bill on immigration mm -hmm. uh, before they even read it uh, because be careful what you ask for because you might get it right <laughs> I, it, it's amazing and and only because Donald Trump said you know you cannot approve mm -hmm. it because I don't want Biden to have you know an election year you know mm. uh, win I mean it's absolutely atrocious uh, and um, it, it shows that they are not uh, honest uh, in Congress the unfortunate thing was and I've talked about this before it, it's really too bad that the Biden administration didn't embrace this a year ago we're absolutely. so close and if for nothing else to take the issue away from your opponent and I think Biden's had a real blind spot on this uh, I mean we see now he's got his Democratic colleagues in the cities in New York and Chicago and all of the influx of migrants. So, you know, the border states are kind of sticking it to him that Biden didn't act sooner because he really could have taken the wind out of the Republican sails. This has been going on for 20 years. We had a compromise 20 years ago and he was killed again because of politics. Uh, the border is the way it is because we have chosen to make it that way. Uh, it's like the bridges. If you don't fix the bridges, they're going to come down. The same thing with the border. If you don't fix the problem by investing in judges, in guards, by making sure that the asylum system works, um, you're going to have this problem forever, no, regardless of who is president. Yeah. Great. We want to welcome once again. We hope Thank to have you, you back, if you'll have us, if you'll come back. Oh, you have an outrage or a kudo this week. I have an outrage, but first I will say kudos to the um, Kansas City Chiefs for winning the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. But my outrage is related, right? And so we mm -hmm. had violence at the um, celebration parade where one person was killed and a lot of people injured. Mm -hmm. And so outrage about gun violence in this country and making sure we do something about it and hate crime. Right here in North Providence, we had um, a, a gospel temple that was um, arson, you know, happened there. And so that's an outrage in thinking about how we're addressing violence in this country. Yeah, and you think a lot of thoughts and prayers don't go so far it do, anymore. It does not. We need yeah. policy. We need action.
Yeah. 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 Uh, we have just about 45 seconds left. What's going to happen with the St. Mary's situation? Well, they have a new interim CEO who so far is really impressing people who meet him, who's seen, who is pledging transparency and, and showing it. It remains to be seen how it's going to be turned around. But now all eyes are on it, so there's some hope. Is that addition going through? It seems they want to expand, or do you think that well, is going to be pushed it, back it, on it's that? It's supposed to go through, but now uh, the groundbreaking's been put off. They're saying it's because of soil remediation. But I think that's going you to think be... it might be a little something well, else? Well, the Senate oversight... Uh, I, uh, no, excuse me. The Senate Finance Committee is going to be looking at that uh, next month. We're selling oranges at a loss. We're going to get a bigger truck. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> Folks, that is all the time we have. We appreciate you watching. Pablo... And Amanda and Weona, welcome. We do hope you come back. If you don't catch us Friday at 7 or Sunday at noon, we're all over social media. All of our shows are archived at ripbs.org lively. Facebook, Twitter, if you want to call it X, that's okay too. And wherever you get your favorite podcast, take us along in the car or on a run or wherever you're going if you can't watch us. We hope you have a great week. Come back here next week as a Lively Experiment continues. Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.